Thanks for joining us online today as we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Years ago, I went with my family to visit relatives in the state of Maine, and I had an uncle who was an avid sailor. So he took us out in the boat and he hoisted that sail. And man, across the lake we went under the power of that wind. And it was a great experience. But I thought, boy, if we ever took the sail down and had to make our way back to shore under our own power using the paddles, well, that wouldn't be such an enjoyable experience. And that's a bit of a picture of the Christian life. God empowers us to live in a supernatural way. And as long as we're living under his power, it's like us sailing across the lake in that boat. But we choose to ignore God. We choose to try and pull this off in our own power. We might as well pull out the paddles. I mean, it is a long haul across the lake, and it's not such a good experience. Well, this morning, I want to talk a bit about what is the result of trying to live the Christian life in our own power. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd turn that open to Romans chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 1, we're going to go all the way through verse 25, asking that question of the text, what is the result of living the Christian life in our own power? In verse 1, Paul starts by celebrating the fact that we've come out from under the jurisdiction of the law. Now the law was a set of, set of rules and regulations taken from the Old Testament. And the Pharisees added their own. And, and those were the standard by which followers of God had to live. And, and, and they failed. Universally, they failed. And it was frustration. It was paddling across the lake without the powers. But, but we've come out from under that jurisdiction. And Paul celebrates that in verse 1. He says, or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking of those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? Look, I've served overseas in a number of uh, different countries, and every country has an Independence Day, a day they celebrate. And what are they celebrating? As a nation, they came out from under the rule of a foreign power. The book of Romans is a celebration of the fact that we've come out from under the rule of sin and the rule of law. And that's happened due to a death. Now in verses 2 and 3, Paul's going to use an illustration for marriage to illustrate this point. We're not developing a theology of divorce and remarriage from this. We're only using this to illustrate that a death has set us free. It has brought us out from a jurisdiction. Here's what Paul says. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is bound to another man, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. The point is simply this. The woman, while her husband is alive, is bound to him. When he dies, she is free. A death has freed us from us being bound to the law. And Paul talks about that death in verse 4. He says, therefore, my brethren, there's the connector. You also were made to die to the law through the body of Jesus 
so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. So we're no longer tied to the law. We're no longer tied to the jurisdiction of sin. We're released from that, and we're now connected, tied to Jesus. Here's what Paul says, verses 5 and 6. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. We had all these details, and all they did was tell us we were wrong. But when we die with Christ, we're raised anew to life in the Spirit, and we're connected to God. So in verse 7, Paul brings home this frustration we had. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? All right, so we had this problem with the law. Was the problem with the law? No, Paul says. May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have been known, I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Paul said the law was a good thing. It showed us our sin. It showed us reality. We were living a life that was killing us and we didn't even know it. So Paul says, let me give you an example. Let's just take the commandment, do not covet. Take it from the Ten Commandments. Look, if you and I live our lives wanting this and wanting that and wanting this and wanting that, dissatisfied all the time, what kind of a life is that? So Paul comes along and says, hey, God says do not covet. It's for your own good that you do not covet. But the law in and of itself doesn't free us from that. It only points out our problem. In a sense, it only frustrates us more. Let me give you a couple thoughts. Fall of 1978, I went off to college at Texas A&M. And when I went, I took the, our parents' old car, a 1971 lime green Comet. Racing stripes down the side, a fake air scoop on the hood, Back quarter panels were rusting out. It was some kind of car. Now my roommate, his grandmother, in the fall of our senior year in high school, 1977, bought him a, a brand new Mach 2 Mustang. And then we went with a guy from our high school who lived right below us. And when he graduated in the spring, May of 1978, his parents bought him a Z28 Camaro. So we go up to the dorms, each of us with our cars, and because we were guys, we had to park way off campus. And on Sunday nights, the, the cafeterias were closed, so a group of us would go out to eat, and rather than all of us driving, we, we'd choose people to drive. Well, about week two or three or four, I said, hey guys, I, I can drive. They said, no, 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 man. no, man, you're good, you're cool. Oh, come on, I don't want you guys to burn. No, 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 Andy, it's all good. It's all good. It's all right, it's all right, it's all right. They didn't want to ride in my car. My 1971 lime green Comet with the fake air scoop and the back quarter panels rusting. I see, I, I, I picked that up. And you know what I wanted? It's the only time in my life I've cared about a car. I coveted a car that other people would want to ride in. 
But saying to me, do not covet, didn't change the issue. It only frustrated me all the more. What I needed to understand was my acceptance was in Jesus, not in a car and not people's view of my car, but just giving me the law by itself didn't help me. You know, maybe for you it's not a car, it's a, it's a vacation. And this is hypothetical and it's pre-pandemic, but you didn't have a lot of money. So you did a staycation and, and man, you went to the Lincoln Zoo and you went to Morrill Hall and hey, your kids were little and it was kind of tight to fill the schedule. So you, so you did the Children's Museum twice and then to kind of knock it out of the park on the last day, you went to the Omaha Zoo, world-class zoo. And that's all good until you get on Facebook and you see your friends and they did their vacation in Disney. And, and when you saw that awesome exhibit in Morrill Hall, they were in the United Kingdom and their kids were taking a picture with Mickey. And, and you did the Omaha Zoo, but, but they were at SeaWorld in Florida. And don't, don't covet. See, Paul's point, he's just using one example. The law in and of itself, it, because of our nature, it, it doesn't do us any good. The problem's not with the law. The problem's with our nature, and that's what he's going to talk about here, starting in verse 8. But sin, our nature, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. See, do not covet didn't help, but it just wanted me to make me covet all the more. For apart from the law, sin is dead, or my awareness of sin was dead. I, I still had a problem, but, but sin brings it to light. I was once alive apart from the law, or I thought I was, but when the commandment came, sin became alive, and, and I died. I became aware. I've got this problem. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. Why? Because it pointed out my problem, but it didn't solve it. For sin, taking an opportunity through commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So then Paul points out in verse 12, the problem isn't with the law. He says, so then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. So the problem is not with the law, but when we bring the law into our being, it causes sin. Where's the problem? Well, the problem's inside. Uh, and that's Paul's point in verse 13. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? No. No, no, it's not the law. The law is just pointing out I've got a problem. problem. Paul says, may it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Problem was with the law. Problem was with our nature. Let me give this example to you. A hammer. Is a hammer a good object or a bad object? Well, that depends... Who has the hammer, doesn't it? You put the hammer in the hands of a skilled, finished carpenter, some beautiful work with a hammer. You put that same hammer in the hands of an enraged person, that can wreck a lot of stuff. I mean, a hammer can be used to kill somebody. Problem isn't with the hammer, it's with the person with the hammer. Problem's not with the law, it's the person dealing with the law, the inner nature of the person. And so Paul says this to, to set up this, this conflict we have, and, and he lays it out in verses 14 to 25. Now, I need to tell you in the front end, scholars are split in verses 14 to 25. Some believe Paul writes as a believer 
writes these verses as a believer. Some believe that Paul writes these in his pre-Christian experience. I won't go into detail, but I believe Paul writes these as a believer. I believe he is talking about the conflict he feels as someone who wants to follow Jesus, but is frustrated. And so we start in verse 14. Here's what he says. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh. I'm living apart. Flesh is everything we do apart from God. Sold into bondage to sin. Some people will say sold into bondage of sin. That, that's someone who's, who's not a Christian. We're, not, we're freed from the chains of sin. And I would say Paul writes not theologically here, but experientially. He knows he ought to be free, but he's tied up in sin. And many of us know that experience. Paul is writing there, in my perception, experientially. So, so Andy, what bondage do you talk about? Well, Paul lays it for us, out for us in verse 15. For what I am doing... I do not understand. So here it is. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. So I got this stuff. I agree that I would like to do, and I'm not doing it. But I'm doing the very thing I hate. I got this other stuff I want to avoid, and I'm doing it. Do you see the conflict? I ought to be doing this, and I'm not. I want to be avoiding this, and I'm doing it. And and I'm frustrated and conflicted, and I'm wondering why. So he goes on to talk about that more in verses 16 to 18. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing the law is good. So I agree the law tells me I shouldn't do this. I agree, but I do it. It's not the problem with the law. It's it's, it's me. I, I agree the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, everything apart from God, For the willing is present in me. That makes me think Paul's writing as a Christian. I want to do this and I'm not doing it. I want to avoid this and I'm doing it. There's a willing, but the doing of good is not. I can't follow through. I'm convinced I need to live life differently, but it is not happening. So he repeats the defeat he feels in verse 15. In, In verse 19 he says, For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil I do not want. But I'm doing the very thing I do not want. I'm no longer the one doing, but sin which dwells in me. So Paul says, yeah, I've got the law of God. And I agree that this is good and this is bad and I should do this and I shouldn't do that. But I'm doing just the opposite. I'm frustrated. It's driving me crazy. And it's telling me something is wrong inside. So I've never made homemade ice cream. But I've tasted it, and it's really good. Here's what I understand, briefly. You get a bunch of ingredients, and you put them in the ice cream maker, and you let it do its thing for a while, and you get product at the end. If you buy the best of ingredients, and they're not spoiled, and they're not bad, and you put all the ingredients in the ice cream maker, and you get a bad product out, you've got to say something is wrong with the ice cream maker. Something's wrong in the process. Something's defective in the machine. Something is wrong if all our ingredients were good. Look, we're putting the law of God into our lives. And we're agreeing it's good and it's holy and it's perfect. But the result we're getting is awful. That's what Paul's saying. It's awful. Something is wrong inside. And Paul keeps repeating that in various ways. He says then, I find then that the principle that evil is present in me 
the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. J.I. Packer is a well-known scholar, and he looks at that verse, verse 22, and he says that is the voice of a Christian. He concurs that the law is good in the inner man. If you're a sinner, you don't pay any attention to the law. You don't care about it. You do what you want, and don't give it a second thought. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So where, where, where's all this going? It's going to verse 24. Paul, a frustrated man. Wretched man that I am. Here's the question. Who will set me free from the body of this death? And we'll get and answer that question in just a second. But we started asking this question. What's the result of living the Christian life in our own power? Look, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, new things have come. Paul isn't writing of that experience. John 7, Jesus was speaking, and he said, look, if, if you trust in me, liver, rivers of living water will flow out of you. That's, that's life, and, and Paul's not having any of that experience. And he's frustrated. And he's wondering what to do. So we ask this question, what is the result of living in our own power? Frustration and failure are the results of living the Christian life in our own power. Frustration and failure are the results of living life, the Christian life, in our own power. So why does Paul write this? Because I think this details the growth experience of every follower of Jesus. In most cases, it is not a snap and we're there. See, sin is, is what we knew. It was an illegitimate way of meeting legitimate needs. It was our go-to. And though the chains of sin have been broken, we, we go back, we hear that voice, we heed it, and we call. Origen was a church leader in the second and third century. He said this, the subduing of the flesh, that life we live apart from God, is a process. It is not overnight. It's a gradual force of habit. Sin had become so, so natural, so, so typical. We're used to obeying it. And the process of Going to God with our legitimate needs instead of going to sin to find an illegitimate way to meet legitimate needs is, is something we learn and, and we have to grow in and it, it doesn't come naturally. Look, when we moved to Lincoln, uh, I was working at Lincoln Breen and we built a house down at 93rd and Old Cheney, 2003. 2004, talked to me about the church plant and we started in 2005 uh, meeting up north. And for 11 years, we would come to church up here, either in this building or at North Star High School as a family. We'd go to lunch, and then, and then we'd head south to go back home. So in June of 2016, it was about a month after we'd moved into our new house at Holdridge in 95th. We, we ate lunch down in the 27th in Holdridge area, and I took our younger son home. And, and I started driving south on 27th. And I got to Capitol Parkway, and my son said, Dad, what are you doing? 
Well, I was driving home. But I was driving to a place I didn't live anymore. Oh, that's right. We've moved. But see, for 11 years, I had gone every Sunday after eating lunch someplace up north. I had gone south to 93rd and Old Cheney, and I had to be redirected to go north and east to 95th and Holdridge. See, there's a process. We have gone to sin for so long, and it's what we know. We've been set free from that, but that's not our practice. And Paul said, it's a challenge letting go, and I, I do the very things I want to avoid, and I don't do the very things I want to do, and, 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 and there's a growth process. Why is he doing this? He hasn't left us any hope. Is there any hope? Yes, there is. Verse 25. Paul has spent 24 verses talking about the frustration he feels, but in verse 25, he brings, he sets us up and brings us home to this. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on one hand, I myself with my man and serving the law of God, but on the other hand with my flesh, the law of sin. Who will set me free, he asks. He says, thanks be to God, Jesus will. And I think he writes these words to let us know that the idea that, oh, we get saved by a complete dependence on Jesus, then, whew, then we take off on our own. That, that's a wrong thinking. That will set us up for frustration. Paul says, look, you try and do this Christian life on your own, you're going to be a frustrated person. You're going to be living what I talked about in Romans 7, 1 to 24. You and I, we desperately need Jesus day by day, moment by moment, just as we did at the point of salvation. John Ortberg is a pastor and author that I enjoy, and he shared this illustration one time. He said, I had a friend who was an Olympic decathlete. Uh, Ortberg lives out in California, and they were on the beach and out in the Pacific Ocean. Apparently, this Olympic decathlete with his son got caught in an ocean riptide that was taking him out. And he began to fight it. And those things are powerful. Even though this guy was in great condition, it, it was a fight he was losing. It, it was a tiring amount, and, and he was being pushed out to sea. And he said he thought at the moment, I guess my wife and my daughters are going to have a double funeral because his son was with them. Well, this decathlete had a, a cousin who knew what was going on and knew kind of the lay of the land there, and he found a sandbar and got out in front of the decathlete, farther out to sea. And as he was being pulled out, the cousin said, hey, you need to stop fighting it and you need to come to me. You, you, you can't go back in shore. You need to come to me. See, the power of this sin, we can't fight it on our own. It will drown us. It will wear us out in our own strength. Jesus is out there and he said, man, you need to come to me. You're in desperate shape. You need to quit fighting. You need to surrender. You need to come to me. I'm the one that can grow you. I'm the one that can take you in your faith journey. I'm the one that can show you those needs can be met in me and not in illegitimate sin ways. I know I've felt the frustration Paul talks about in Romans 7, 1 to 24, more than I want. I've been walking with Jesus 40 years, 40 plus. I relate to these verses. That desperate feeling should not Make us think, man, we, we got to buck up. We got to be, be stronger. We got, no, 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 no. It shows our weakness. It shows us our desperate need for Jesus. And this, if we're not weak and desperate enough, I, I think this COVID pandemic has 
only shone the light more. How out of control we are. And we wonder how long. When will, when, when will life return back to normal? When can I start doing this, that, and the other? And if we're honest, we don't know. And there's a brokenness. There's a desperation. There's a what do I do to this? And how do I figure? And how do I plan? And how? <laughs> we don't know. But there's something beautiful. There's something worthwhile that can be salvaged out of this desperation. We can let that push us to Jesus. In the moments of anxiety, in the moments of I don't know, in the moments of I'm not sure of, in the moments when I don't know, I'm... would you go? Like you're in that riptide and we just cling to Jesus. Let him hold you. You try and fight it on your own. We try and fight it on our own. We're going to drown. We're going to die in frustration. For years, I worked for Lincoln Public Schools as a nutrition services substitute. As a result, I had an account with Lincoln Public Schools. And once a year, I'd have to change my password. And in order to do that, you have to get on a network computer. You can't do it on your own computer. So I'd go into the office where I was, and I'd try and change my password. And usually it worked okay. But once in a while, I messed it up. And so call the help desk at the LPS district office and you get on the phone and do this and do that. And I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know if I type in my password wrong or I didn't remember it or whatever. It, but it's a mess. I, I'm stuck. And at that point, the other person on the line said, can I take control of your computer? <laughs> yes, please do. Okay, then you need to type in this and that and that will give me control. So I typed in this and that, and away they went and did their thing. They now type in your pass. Now type in your password here. Hit this, and away they type this, that, this, that. You're you're good to go. I had to surrender, complete control, <laughs> if I was ever going to get a new password. I think that's what Paul's talking about here: complete surrender all the time, day by day, moment by moment. It's going to be frustration and defeat if we live any other way. We're desperately dependent on Jesus. And in the frustration of our failing with sin, he's not giving up on us, but he's saying, you need, you're going to drown. You need to come to me. As Paul talks about in verse 25. Would we learn from Paul? <laughs> Would we learn from his frustration? Would we learn from his mistake? Would we learn to drive our, let our failures drive us to Jesus? Well, let me pray. Father in heaven, we realize if Paul can't pull it off in his own strength, who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? Frustration <laughs> and failure are the end of us trying to pull it off in our own strength. <sighs> Lord, as we're being washed out to sea, would we heed Jesus' call, come to me. Lord, it's those feelings of desperation, loneliness, and uncertainty are compounded in this COVID-19 crisis. Would we see that as all the more reason to come to Jesus? We pray this in his name. Amen.